Welcome back to another series of the Make Life Work podcast, season six, if you're counting. I am your host, Cy Jobling, side project addict with far too many years to count from working in tech. I'm also a software engineering manager, community advocate, and podcast junkie. So this is the ideal platform for me to share topics important to me. This time on the podcast, I've returned to interview more people from around the tech scene about some of their recent projects, how they fit them around lockdown life, along with their day jobs. By diving into their specific projects, we hope to uncover some of the tips and tricks they use to make them happen, so you lovely listeners can try them out yourself. This week, I've invited along Lorna Mitchell, DevRel Manager at Avon. Lorna has been a software developer for a number of years in a variety of different roles. I've personally been lucky enough to work with her a couple of times back in my engineering days as well. Lorna has been a huge member of the open source community and shared her learnings through blogging, writing books and public speaking. With her recent role change, Lorna is now encouraging others to give back to the developer community. So I was keen to hear her thoughts and share them with our listeners. This is Making and Sharing with Lorna Mitchell. So welcome along, Lorna Mitchell. Hi, thanks for having me. How are you? I am very well this morning, actually, and it's nice to talk to you. Oh, well, you are very kind. I'm hoping I won't put your day in a worse position, as it were. (laughs) I'll report back on that at the end. (laughs) I will check in at the end of the day, see how things went. No, thanks for joining me. It's great to have you on board. Um, We have have got a a history with our careers as well, Mm -hmm. um, which might touch on at some point. But I'd love you to start by just explaining to our lovely listeners what it is you do now and maybe a little bit about how you got there. Okay, let me try. Um, uh, Hi, I'm Lorna. I'm head of DevRel for a company called Ivan. We do open source databases as a service. So that is super geeky and I really enjoy it. Um, My background is in software development. So I've been a coder for many years, um, but I've always had a blog. I've been on the conference circuit as a speaker for a really long time. And I mean, like I'm a published author and stuff as well. So I'm like a coder, but I can't stop helping other people with things. So now I work in developer relations, which is like a natural progression Ivan's a very open source company. We only host open source solutions. So that's also one thing that drew me over into this role. I didn't start working at Ivan until January. So I'm coming up on six months um, and they're EU based. So they're in my time zone, which is Always a big, a big attraction for a technical company that I'm only awake at sensible times. Also, databases are super cool. Databases are pretty cool, and I'm a bit of a data junkie, probably more like you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think people appreciate the complexity of some of these systems that we work with. But you obviously love this. You know, you're an accomplished writer. You're a speaker. You get this stuff. You build this stuff. You are living this stuff now, right? Mm, yeah, and in the open source space as well. You know, when you were offering Kafka and Postgres as, as services and the other like eight things that we have, you kind of become an advocate for that open source project. And I, you meet all sorts of different people, people building stuff. You know, you can build it on Ivan or not. It's just, you know, we're operating it or you're operating it. It's whatever makes sense for your business. Um, and I, so I get to meet lots of different people and also to... Um, play some small part in all of those upstream and adjacent open source projects. 
So you, you're contributing back now, but also by, uh, I guess, you sort because of, you're evangelizing this stuff with your mm. engineers, you have to step back a little bit as well. So you're not fully hands-on. You're empowering others to try and do it instead. Yeah, very much so. So you, you mentioned developer relations. It, it sounds, I mean, I'm like an engineering manager, so it sounds very similar. But what, do you understand the difference between these two roles or is it still a, one of those work in progress? Well, now that I'm an engineering manager in a developer relations team, that those two things have collided. But I think um, developer relations is very much about, uh, particularly for companies who have a developer-facing product, enabling those very technical customers. So raising awareness, there's the evangelism pillar, and that's what people think of, I think, when you think about developer relations. You see people giving the conference talks at the airports when that was still a thing. Um, mostly on YouTube now Um, Mm -hmm. and you know that's how we think of developer relations and it's kind of I saw a brilliant graphic which was the tip of the iceberg is the blog posts and the talks because there's a lot goes on behind the scenes as well in terms of representing that developer community to the people who make the product so trying it out before we even release it and saying you know, developers don't use tools like this or, you know, I'm really going to need autocomplete if you're going to write command line tools that are 20 characters. All those sort of small things that are easy to miss. I also work a lot on documentation and um, example apps, just stuff that lets you get started with the products that we have. So developer relations is kind of the oil between the two moving, between the two moving parts and like you say, I'm not exactly building stuff myself now, but as an advocate, you enable and teach so many people to build so many more things than like I could ever have built just myself. So I find it really rewarding. So, I mean, let's go back a little bit. Um, you were a, like a contract developer for many years and I'll work with you and join some at time as well. What motivated you to shift into this role? Because it must have been a bit of a, a mind shift for you. It was and it wasn't. So I went from sort of full-time, even, even when I was a full-time employee as a software developer, I was still doing a lot of the community outreach for that company and quite a lot of their sort of pre-sales engagement, that kind of stuff. When I was freelance, that was amazing because I got to try so many different things. I worked with you as a contract developer. I wrote books. I delivered training courses, I spoke at conferences, I did quite a lot of consultancy both at the sort of high level and in the design the solution, train the team, implement with them, leave them totally equipped to run and evolve this thing and build the next thing type of work. So it was a really, really mixed bag. Um, And although then I did more um, engineering again, and I always think I'm probably going to return to engineering in between all these various career excitements. Um, Advocacy, particularly with the conference speaking, I was doing it for years and years as a hobby, using all my annual leave or um, working part-time to sort of make that stuff work. Then it just made sense to get paid to do it. I call it funding the lifestyle. Funding the lifestyle. Oh, I like that. That's very nice. That could even be a working episode title for us. Yeah. And then I just want to step back a little bit further because I think one of the problems I've noticed recently is the the lack of diversity in our industry, right? Especially engineering. And I'm curious how you got into tech originally. What kind of education you did or was it more more hands-on? What was your journey into where we do? 
Yeah, I had a really, um, really traditional route in, but I think the important thing is I went to an all-girls school. Right. So I just didn't, I didn't have to deal with 14-year-old boys in my computing class. So, and I didn't get the memo that this is not for girls. But that was, that didn't exist around me. I just never saw it until I had gone to university. But by then, like I knew what I was good at. I knew what it meant to me to do something that I found very rewarding and that I could really make a difference with. Um, so yeah, I, no, I was your super geeky teenager, right? I have A-levels in maths, further maths and physics. Um, I have a degree in electronic engineering, like from a top university, etc. So it's not quite the software development route, but it is a very traditional technical route. And um, But I think there's a couple of places in my career where I feel like I've bypassed that discrimination thing. Right. One is being educated in an all-girls school with amazing, all not quite all-female teaching staff, but like I had a cool engineer who taught me further maths and stuff, nice. um, and that made a big difference. But then again later, after about mm, five years working in the industry, maybe a little bit more, I was freelance. So that jump from not really junior, mid-level dev to very senior would hire her to do anything I did not have to work around other people at that time I did that by myself which I'm not sure I'd recommend but it's definitely part of my story cool so it was kind of part of your not life but your personality in the early stages you really enjoyed this stuff Mm. there was no bias like you say from a mixed school where you kind of look at the lads and going I'm a bit intimidated by this or is it meant to be a female industry all that's gone and it probably yeah. made it a little bit easier for you I guess the do I belong here came much later sure oh should we go into that then oh you can I don't you know I think it can it's difficult for me but it's also difficult for other people mm. to understand I, I do belong here and it can be quite a, a cognitive dissonance because there are so few women and particularly very senior technical women like me some people genuinely find it hard to believe or to listen. You know, you go to a conference and people will say, hi, nice to meet you, like what are you working on, what are you working on? They'll ask me if I have children at home. And it's like, but I want to tell you what I'm working on. I want to have that. Yeah, so it can be, that can be really difficult. I'm sure. But it's difficult for people sometimes to believe me. And I hope that as the industry matures those things will change and we will get more used to seeing different sorts of humans so you're feeling optimistic that it will change with time but unfortunately that we've still got a lot of bias in the industry you know that's tarnishing the industry in a way as well it's i think it's very limiting if we look at the growth in the industry and there's two sides to this there's growth in the industry if you want to grow your teams you need to open that up to everybody with the skills because I think we know, you know, there are stereotypes about what kinds of people can work in technology, but realistically, there are some limitations. So we do need the best and the brightest, whatever their background um, and however they look. And we do need to be open to finding people that we can help develop themselves. We can give them the opportunities and see what they make of it. Um, And those two things... I think will make a big difference in the industry. But the flip side is about the difference that the industry can make in society. 
by bringing the well-paid technical jobs to all kinds of people who wouldn't necessarily have been able to access them in the past, but who now can, you know, I live in a grim northern town, essentially, um, and based in Huddersfield in Yorkshire. There's not a lot of, you know, high-earning tech industry, but I have always worked remote. Um, and I see people around me and I just think they could make a big difference to a company somewhere. And then that money comes into the local community. So the, for me, there's two parts of how that change is going to play out. Or I want to believe it could one day. Mm. Probably not in my lifetime, though. Uh, yeah, and that final part is what concerns me because I'm even seeing like my children... You know, my lad is, is is a traditional geek like like me. You know, he's he's taken on the I want to stream, I want to be a YouTube sensation. Or he, he's into code a little bit as well. My daughter, opposite, she loves animals, nature, all the other stuff. But I do see her little group. I just see computers as it's entertainment. That's all it is for me. Yeah, they're consumers. And I want her to realise there's so much more potential than that as well because they're bright people. They've got people skills. They've got you know, holistic views of things, which are all big contributors to what we do. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realise as well how creative technology is. And so they see themselves as creative. They don't realise that means, oh, well, then maybe technology could be for you. I do quite mm. a lot of outreach with things like the STEM ambassador schemes here in the UK. Oh, really? Just trying to change that one thing at a time. Yeah. So can you tell us a bit about that, actually, the STEM ambassador stuff? So STEM Ambassador is a nationwide scheme that's set up in the UK, encouraging adults who work in STEM, so science, technology, engineering and mathematics professions, to do outreach work with school-aged children. Right. So you can do one-off talks. It's all online at the moment, which makes it even easier. Uh, talking about what you do or running a little taster of what you do, and that's brilliant, especially if it, like, blows up or I don't know <laughs> software not necessarily so exciting um, but I do quite a lot of outreach especially around the digital sector and women in tech because in the STEM ambassador space there are not that many of us so my local STEM ambassador organizers know me pretty well and I fit it in whenever I can right and yeah I guess this comes back to the whole purpose of this podcast is how you fit this stuff in which maybe we'll cover later on and um, we've gone off a little bit of a tangent already but I love it. Let's bring it back to the open source community and stuff like that. So I know you've been really active in this space for a long, long time. It's obviously part of your job now, which is even better. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a bit about what you really love about it and maybe some of the challenges that you'd love to address as well? Open source is, if I think about like a, a, a clickbait, one weird trick for a successful tech career, open source for me has absolutely been that. It's been the place where I have got access to a load of technologies without either having money or really knowing if it was the thing I wanted to do. It's the place where I learned all of the technical skills trying to solve a problem, usually because I was trying to use a tool that was broken or um, the documentation wasn't great. Um, it's where I meet the people. You know, none of us operate completely in isolation. It is all about the people. It's a little bit about who you know, but it's also about the people that you learn from. And that shared sense of purpose. It's one thing to work on a software development team. And that's I've worked on some great teams, and that's cool. But when you work in open source, there's been times in my career where my day job hasn't been amazing. And so that open source community, you get to choose 
what you work on. You get to choose the, the skills that you learn next and you get to choose the humans that you do that with. And that's really helped me to both level up, but also to kind of build a support network at a time when it wasn't always present in my day job. And we just mentioned that I was freelance for a bunch of years and, and that that was my peer group. Yeah, I mean, it's a fair point, to be honest, because I think when you work in, in a company where you're surrounded by engineers or people that you, you've got a mutual goal, right? It doesn't necessarily mean it's a mutual passion, I don't think, sometimes, mm. you know. So this also gives you the opportunity to go into those passions a bit more and find those people that you really have got a common interest in rather than a common goal. Yeah. But then, obviously, full circle, you've come back into a role where you are evangelizing open source working on it day to day and you're surrounded by people with a mutual passion I guess yeah absolutely and Ivan we're just setting up an open source program office we're looking at ways we can contribute more to the projects that we use um, both the ones that we use you know are in our own tools but also the ones that we offer we offer these hosted services and we're just doing the service the managed just it's super complicated. I love working with people who love operating this stuff at scale because I never want to operate this stuff at scale and they pay my hosting bills. It's amazing. But those looking at those projects and looking at how we can also be part of the projects as well as offering, just offering services around them. And it's one thing that really attracted me to this job. But one of the reasons I'm here and having the impact that I am is because of all that experience with open source. So for them, you the, the, the appeal of you was all that experience and the passion, obviously, and, you know, again, we can go into now probably the public speaking and the giving back to the community. Mm. So can we can we maybe dive into the public speaking part a bit more now? I'm just curious, again, what motivated you to get into that in the first place and how did you find that first talk? The very first one, I'm not taking responsibility for it. Um, I started working for a company that organized a conference and their CTO, I'd been there about, I don't know, three or four weeks and their CTO sent me a message and said, oh, hey, I would really love to have you speak at our conference this year because we don't have any women. Um, And I said, this is a terrible reason to ask a speaker. Please never do this again. Five minutes later, he sent me a message and said, I would love to have you speak at our conference this year. I see that you're an expert in subversion and dating myself here i see that you're an expert in a source control particular source control system that i think would be of great value to our attendees would you consider sharing your knowledge and i said i've never given a talk before i need to think about it good answer so he published my name on an international conference speaking schedule and the rest is history wow (laughs) it took me quite a long time to forgive him i'm sure i hope they didn't do it before you agreed (laughs) yeah pretty much um but Honestly, I mean, I came off stage saying I'm never doing that again, which I still do with every talk, and I'm, I've given hundreds of talks now. Sure. But the thing that keeps me going, two things keep me going. At the very beginning, what kept me going was if you speak at a conference, you get expenses paid to go to the conference. There is no way that I would have learned as much as I did without access to all of those learning materials Um, and uh, things are online now and maybe you can learn from video but that wasn't true then and I still learn better if I see it in person you know I have all these things bookmarked to watch later and I have a pretty low success rate on that so it was an investment in my own professional development and I didn't have the money to pay and go to all these things but I could trade it for a talk which is a lot of work Mm. But it opened, uh, just I learned so much. 
and obviously got better at speaking because I kept on doing it. And then later on, you know, I, I, I still go to events and people come up to me and they say, oh, you taught me about databases or source control or web development or whatever back in the day. And it really, knowing that you've made a difference keeps me going. Wow. That's what really, that's the thing that keeps me. Every now and again, I think, oh, this isn't really for me. Um, and then someone messages me about a thing they learned from me one time. And that, that really, that, that is, that is the reason that I keep doing it. All right. It's so rewarding though, to hear those little stories. I think I don't get it as often as you, obviously, but I do feel like, you know, when people go, oh, I like what you did with that. Mm. That's exactly why I made it in the first place, because I just want someone to acknowledge it and get something from it. And it's like the podcast, yeah. you know, it's just like if someone listens and gets something from it. Brilliant. Otherwise, I'm doing it for my own benefit. Exactly that. So have you got any recent talks that you're quite pleased about that you want to share the story on? Uh, you just caught me on the very end of conference season. Of course. Because conferences happen in seasons. Um, I don't know why, because it's super annoying. I know. And I could attend or speak at way more of them if they were a bit more distrib- evenly distributed through the year. And yeah, it's been lovely. I've done a couple of years in my previous role working in a different sector. I've been API specialist. So I'm back into databases now, which I've worked in in the past. So it's been really cool, actually, to go catch up with what happened in the databases space while I was not looking um, and to just to get out and be building those demo apps and really opening doors for developers, um, sharing what they might need to know soon um, about the time series databases, the event driven systems, you know, Ivan has Kafka on its platform and that's new, that, that's new tech to a bunch of people. So getting out and and letting them know what's coming where to start has been super rewarding yeah it's been really good nice so it's more database focused at the moment um how many talks have you done this year do you think this year about 10 it's not loads i changed jobs in january so it's been reasonably by my standards reasonably low-key but it's and it's of course it's all updated talks no content repeat because i'm in a new job doing new tech um so but that's been a huge amount of fun like i really enjoy the learning the building the sharing that's why i'm in developer relations so yeah it was a bit of a challenge but i now i'm through it like if you'd asked me a month ago i would have told a whole different story and nobody like i think it went pretty well um so that's great yeah i mean that's a couple of months really isn't it on on average i'm sure it's spread out a bit more on the evenly yeah they're all in may exactly (laughs) the the conference season as you mentioned (laughs) it's crazy how you fit that in i mean can you tell us a bit about your thought process to making a a talk as it were you know do you start off with a problem or do you have an idea tell us how you go through that process I look a little bit at the event so i'm one of i think it's quite unusual for speakers to uh, write completely new content for every event but typically I, it at least adapts a bit because every audience is different even if the topics are the same and I always start from the end so I visualize as the people leave the room what are they taking with them that they didn't have when they came in have I given them some knowledge some motivation showed them a new tool like what's in the party bag when you go home from the party and If you can't answer this question, then that's fine. You don't need to give the talk at all. Um, The second test is, would I rant about this in a bar? Like if I saw you at a user group, 
would I spontaneously just in the small talk like tell you what I'm working on would it be this thing and the best talks I've ever given started off as me trying to reason with someone in a bar mostly I mean I don't drink anymore but I was gonna say a little bit tipsy makes it even better yeah oh no drunk and shouting <laughs> is yes I sort of miss it <laughs> she that 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 past Lorna had a real like belief in spirit and now I try to bottle that and present it in a way that's much more digestible in a more reasonable manner and you don't need to be within earshot right because it's on the stage and so those are my real motivations for is this an interesting topic is it so like is there something of value to this audience and I might do I care so much that I genuinely would just tell anyone that would listen. I mean, it's a better way to look at it, probably problem solving, rather than just putting something out there. If you need help with your side project, either for inspiration, support, or just general feedback, remember to join our On The Side community on Slack. There are a number of previous guests from the podcast in there, including Sam Hardacre, Mike Street, Dom Hodgson, and Mark Lismore. Pop on over to ontheside.network which will take you straight through to registration and I'll see you in there. How long does it typically take you to sort of create the content as well? You know, what, how much time do you give yourself to, to get that in a good shape? It depends a little bit how much I already know and how, what I need to build for it. Um, there's been a few this year that have drunk a lot of time but it's because these are things that I haven't been working with lately and I've had to kind of reskill a bit to get all the demos working and get a real understanding myself. I usually say, you know, from idea to on the stage or as we do it today, a rating to an empty room, <laughs> um, often two weeks before the event, which is horrible. I'm just like recording to midair. Um, it's it's about for a one hour talk I'd say it's about 40 hours of prep so it's a real again it's an iceberg because it, if it's really well done your favorite speakers genuinely just look like they've written some slides they rock up they tell you this story it's absolutely compelling and it looks easy yeah you don't want to watch someone who looks like they're struggling or hating it but the the preparation and rehearsal and you know, my team always listen to it beforehand and all of that um, is invisible. Yeah. 40 hours is quite an investment though as well, right? I get paid to do it now. Which is the best part of your new job, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a different, it's a different thing. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, like you say, I don't think people appreciate how much time can go into these things. And it's, it's not just time, it's effort, right? You know, you've got to really think about what that content's going to look like, how you're going to approach it give it some structure, build your examples, as you mentioned, which is another part that developers probably have to do more of than maybe other public speakers where they just mm -hmm. go, yeah, I've already got something. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just regurgitate something else I've already done. And the fact that you're customizing this per event, I'm, I'm amazed by that because that's extra effort. I think it's important because, especially because I operate in lots of different technology communities now, they have different approaches to things, they have different familiarity you know, some communities use a lot of code generation, for example. Other communities, that's not a thing. So it can be quite important to, to know the words that they use um, and to know where they're coming from. Uh, I, d I normally have fairly lightweight slide decks, which means they're no use if I'm not standing in front of them. But it also means that it gives me the, the room inside each talk to drill in on the bits that I think make the most sense for this context. Mm. 
and it gives you it, it doesn't feel as scripted i guess as well if you if you're not reading from a slide you can be a lot more natural a lot more relatable and again, all these sort of presentation skills that you could probably Google, quite frankly, but you've got the vast years of experience from doing. Well, and also my talks exist. I do a full rehearsal with an audio recording and the time, like taking all the timings and everything before I start the slide deck. Okay. So it stands alone completely. I know what my story is. There's an elevator pitch. There's bullet points. The story and the structure is here. If I need to show you some code or explain something, it's good to have a diagram or some. the code has to be for you to look at. That's really hard to do audibly. Mm. But that's all the slides are there for. They're there to support the story that I'm telling you. And so I think that helps as well with the different... When you're telling the same story about the amusing incident with the bicycle and the bunny rabbit... Right, you're going to emphasize different parts of the story depending if you're telling, you know, your five-year-old or your grandfather, and so it's the same things. They have different. They will find different things interesting. Yeah, I was talking to uh, Chris Hellman the other week about how he does screen recordings and how he never does all three at the same time, as you know, screen share, narrate, and do you know interactions and stuff like that. He, he does all three separately. And again, mm-hmm. it fascinated me the fact that he, he he keeps them three different disciplines separate as part of the, the final product. But obviously, when you're live on the stage, you can't do that. <laughs> you are literally opening up a live demo while you're talking. Well, yes and no. For the big auditoriums, it is normally video. And I put play and pause. So I don't pause in the video, put play and pause on my clicker. Right. So then I flip over to the video and then I can like, I'm not talking to my laptop in the corner of the stage. I'm walking across the stage and telling you a story and pointing to things and I can pause to explain something or to finish my sentence because it's really hard to watch someone using their laptop and learn something from it. Um, I think it's a bit easier now. Everything's digital, so I'm at my computer, you're at yours. It's more like watching a stream Mm. and I'm also a streamer. Um, I think there's some crossover there and it's doing the one has improved my skills for the other. I think those things are separate, but certainly that whole story, sometimes the slides never happen. I don't need them. Which is probably healthier as well from a presentation perspective. People don't want to watch Death by PowerPoint sometimes. They want to see a story and just a person. They kind of get nervous. Talks should have slides. This is not what I expected. Exactly. It's like, wait, I'm waiting past for, it. for the visual. Where well, I am the visual. Enjoy. You, yeah, you've forgotten to screen share. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. N- n- no. I'm not, I'm not doing that oh great have you got any frustrations with public speaking that really kind of bug you about the whole market really i think uh, conference season right <laughs> there is no need for all of you to have your events in the last week in september and it's almost worse because at one time you know i'd have submitted to a couple of things the first one to accept that's the city i'm going to be in on those dates whereas now i kind of could do them all because they're in different time zones I'm not going to. It's not good for a person, but it makes it harder to make the decision. I think it's been a bit weird with everything being digital and lots of people don't like it, but they tend to be the people that were already able to travel and already having that experience. What we're not hearing from is the people who I'm meeting for the first time because the digital events are accessible to them. Um, They're able to either they're free or they don't, you know, they fit with the caring responsibilities or the geography or, you know, you don't have to be at my lovely, expensive Western European technical conferences to hear my story now. 
Um, and I wonder how that's going to shape up in the future. I hope that we keep some aspect of what we've done and the, and the new connections and the new communities that we've built. Another frustration is, and this, this one's as old as time, hearing from the same people all the time. Um, if, you, if you look at the conference schedule lineups, I am just seeing a lot of people, mostly DevRel people, mostly names that you know, you know, like I have great AV already. It's the new comes with a travel budget. Um, and I just I want to hear the new voices. And that's not happening for me at the moment. Mm. And maybe it is, I don't know, I'm just throwing this out there, maybe because we're in this difficult time, one, we don't go out to conferences at the moment because we can't. And I think an element I do miss from conference circuit is the people part again, the relationships you do off, you know, in the fringe times. But yeah, going back to your point about the the diversity and the new faces and, you know, the people that can't make the, the conferences generally because they are expensive, far away, bad timings. I can't stay away overnight. I've got children or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Now they can. And even my wife can join an online course when she's finished teaching at 6.30. She'll jump, get home, jump on Zoom at 7 and be able to pick something up. She would never be able to yeah. do this previously. So it's not just in tech. This is the general conference circuit. I do hope we can preserve some of the good stuff we've learned through lockdown because, like you say, it's just made things so much easier. I've got a horrible feeling we'll go back to a lot of bad ways, though. Well, and I think there's an element of those of us who are well-known, who are community leaders, need to make some of those decisions. You know, I run a DevRel team, so it's up to me to decide how our strategy looks and what I think is important. You know, we I think the way we were flying all over the planet for one person to speak to a small number of other people in a, in a, in a physical room somewhere, it's one-way content delivery. We can do that in other ways. I think watch parties are the future. Um, but you know for the conference workshops that I'm now getting more in the online learning format with some really well prepared resources some homework and some office hours that's a much better way to learn let's keep doing some of those things the magic of the face-to-face yeah let's do it but let's do it for a reason yeah we've had this recently actually with work because obviously we're coming out of the roadmap as it were for the uk lockdown and the company is starting to say well you know you can come to the office now it's safe uh but a lot of engineers are going i don't need to i've been able to pair and code from home for this entire year no problems whatsoever but there are opportunities to say like you say let's go and do a workshop session in the meet in the actual meeting room with a whiteboard have some proper back and forth conversations rather than this synchronous video call mode which is not as natural sometimes Well, I work for a company, Um, I've been there six months, haven't met anyone in person, and now I'm growing a team. So I have new recruits in all different countries who've never met me or each other. So there is a middle ground. I'd love to get them in one room. Yes. When they're decentralized, it's hard, right? It's Well, I've always been remote. So I've been remote for more than 10 years. I mean, everyone's remote now. It's like an, an in thing. And, you know, I live in... Northern England, there are not that, I mean, there's quite a lot actually of high tech now going on in Leeds and Manchester. That hasn't always been true. And working from home has allowed me to take jobs with some really interesting employers over the years that just if I had to be able to get to the office, you know, you have to move to London for that. Yep. And I'm hoping we can change some of that as well, because like you, we are also saying, look, we don't need engineers in London anymore. 
a very expensive place to hire an office, by the way. Where mm-hmm. else can we go? Maybe the Midlands, maybe the North, maybe Ireland, you know, just look at the options. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, hiring developer relations people, if you can get to an airport with reasonable connections, then you've got everything that you need. Totally, totally. Um, let's take the conversation over to your writing um, side of things. You, you're an avid blogger. You're an accomplished writer now, published many times. Um, have you got anything in the works at the moment that you're you, you trying to get out or anything you've got planned? Not really. Um, the blog has been a little bit neglected, and that's a result of taking on a new job and then getting promoted in the new job. Mm. So there's been a lot going on in the brain. Uh, lately and it's really impacted my creative juices also conference season oh my gosh <laughs> so my intentions are to keep on to, to to blog more and I've got a bunch of like small things that I really just need to sit down and share and my blog has always been about that kind of the small tips I don't have any bigger projects on at the moment at work we are completely rebooting the documentation side of things right it's such an important part of the developer experience. And while a lot of developer relations teams do write a lot of words, they don't often have specialist writers. So, yeah, growing some tech writers and developer educators into my DevRel team um, and looking at really going really big on the self-service resources for developers. And it's the same thing as the events. It reaches developers everywhere. It's here. It's written down. Help yourself. You know, you don't need a sales call to use Ivan. It's got a free trial. Just go and kick the tires. And you should be able to do that without us needing to do anything. Mm. You know, if you know how to use Postgres or Redis or whatever, just come and help yourself. So you're kind of um, empowering your your direct reports now to do this as well. It's not just down to you anymore. You're kind of going, well, actually, I could do this. Or how don't, why don't you try? And that can feed into that diversity again in the conference circuit to get more people out of their shells. Yeah, absolutely. And my team all have different areas of expertise. So we need we need their knowledge to be able to write the good documentation. And, you know, you know me as a blogger, but my tech writers are definitely teaching me a thing or two, uh, which is also fabulous. I'm sure. And it's, it's an art to this as well, right? It's not just a, just dump down a load of code. That is the worst thing to learn from, really. But you need someone mm-hmm. to kind of intersect this with little comments and maybe some instructions with some screenshots very difficult to get right it is but you know i'm i'm in an organization that really wants to invest in it um and i've got some amazing humans that are going to help me to do it so i think those i think those self-service resources that ability to go and look stuff up and just figure out what you need is i always say developers experienced developers are very experienced skip readers and it's really just about putting the tools out there for them to find their way very nice We've talked a lot around work, and I know that your partner's into tech as well, so you've got a shared passion. How do you mm-hmm. find a balance to turn all this stuff off when you're, you're turn, sitting down in the evening? Where do you get that balance? I love that you think we turn off from tech. Uh, <laughs> it's Because it's our hobby as well, right? Yeah. Um, and I kind of enjoy that we're in the same space. I know it makes us hard to talk to if you're not, um, but how was your day, dear? I can understand the answer. Yeah. Um, and that works pretty well, and... We have, although we both have worked in software, he's currently not working. Right. Um, so he is overseeing our kitchen renovation, Ooh. taking up a new wood turning hobby and yeah. selling the, that online. And he's also volunteering with the vaccination effort here in the UK. Amazing. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, he's just taking a sabbatical from work, which is 
It's really nice, actually, although we've kind of both been at home all the way through the lockdown. He's just around, you know, and that's, that's quite nice um, for me. You know, we have lunch together and stuff. But we also share other interests. So where I live in Huddersfield, we're nearly in the Peak District, so sometimes we're out hiking. Wow. Um, we do some woodwork projects together. So we're like we're mates and we're into a bunch of different things. And I think that really helps to keep those other interests um, going and to make sure that we don't get, like you say, too entrenched in the world of the code. True. Uh, the only reason I say turn off, I mean, turn away from screens, because I know we all know how unhealthy it can be to just be completely obsessed with our tech. I love that you live near the Peak Districts. That is what a luxury that would be to just get away. Let's go for a little walk around the Peak District. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just, you know, half an hour away or whatever. It's oh, amazing. Yeah. And the woodwork as well, because, again, it's just something, a real craft that you can feel the tangible benefits from. Yeah, it's a really good, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really good different thing. It's still creative, just like tech, but it's very differently creative, very hands-on. Great. I mean, I've, I've got one more question for you. I ask everyone, if you've got any tips for anyone that's aspiring to be into public speaking or content writing, anything like that, what, what tips would you give? I think for both of those, um, the hard part is the feeling self-conscious. Yeah. And I, you know, I think we we live in a world that's very much about the cult of personality, the TikTok stars, the your favourite Twitch streamer and whatever. And it's actually, for me at least, it's that's not what it's about. You know, if you have something that you know or that you could show someone that maybe you learned somewhere and, and you could pay that forward, it's such an important part of the ecosystem for you to do that. And it's really not about you. Um, when I think of the people that I've taught, you know, it's it's about how I have unlocked the possibilities for them and then what they did with that information and the same with the blogging I mean the blog is there because I forget stuff so I write it down and of course you understand it better when you've processed it and explained it to somebody else and I mean I don't think I am still the biggest user of my blog but um you know I genuinely I the lornajane.net results come up in the in the uh, search results and I go oh cool and I click in, you know, and the paths are all correct for my system and the words are nice and simple. Um, so it's it's not about you and it's not about feeling self-conscious or feeling like you're trying to put yourself out there. It's that you're contributing something that might help somebody who's behind you on the path. Mm. And when you do that, you help someone else and you probably learn and improve yourself as either a speaker or a writer. So I think my tips are just... Don't overdo it. Don't think you have to have like a weekly masterpiece. If you have an idea, note it down. If you have some time, try and bake the idea. We Not all of us have a lot of disposable time for this, but you can do a lot with a little. Absolutely. And blogs are free to set up nowadays as well. You don't need to invest a lot of money in this at all. It's just finding the time. And like you say, the reason should come to you eventually anyway. Yeah, content is king. Pick a theme, write the words. Yep. I see so many blogs that aren't published because the theme isn't ready. And if you feel like oh, maybe I'm looking at you directly and you're listening to this, I mean it. I would rather have the words. And even if they're badly formed, I don't care. You've done it. And I can I can give you some feedback, to be honest, if that's the case. Yeah, I'm probably reading it in my RSS reader. <laughs> RSS, baby. I still miss that. It, hello it still exists it's still the best way to keep track of things totally but there's not many apps that help you with this anymore uh, i'm using feedly you find it feedly well. the best one for us then oh it's it's you're nearly right it's nearly the last one standing but i've been using it for a while and um yeah it, it, there are i find it difficult when everything's coming through on twitter 
and then you have to open the link and then add it to your own bookmarks to read later because otherwise it goes past in the stream. Like RSS holds that for me to browse and either read or not. Mm. It's much more sensible. It is. I, mean, I can probably talk to you off record on this, but I've got a lot of pain points with the way Twitter does it, URL parsing. Yes. But yeah, I'll tell you what, Lorna, it's been lovely to have you on the podcast and I really appreciate your time. I know it's very valuable, obviously, but I think we've learned quite a few things about how to get into public speaking, get into tech, get into public writing, all this sort of stuff. It's, you are a good advocate for this and I'm glad you're in the right role for it now. Yeah, it's been lovely to chat. Thanks for having me. Cool. How can people get hold of you? Where are the best places to get hold of you on, on the on the internet? Um, I'm Lorna Jane almost everywhere. Um, hit up lornajane.net um, to find my website, um, my blog and all my contact details. Cool. We'll get them in the show notes as well. So if anyone can't remember or find you, they will definitely find you that way. Perfect. Really appreciate your time, Lorna. And hopefully things will get really well for you in the new role as well. You'll find your feet, as it were. I hope so. Um, it's certainly exciting times and it's, it's been good to share a bit of it with you. Thanks, Lorna. Appreciate it. Many thanks to Lorna for joining me on this episode of the podcast. Always a pleasure talking to her about community efforts and how we can get others thinking similarly. As Lorna mentioned, you can reach out to her on Twitter as at Lorna Jane. Plus, you can find all her blog posts and publications on her website at lornajane.net. As for the podcast... We obviously love to hear your thoughts. Get in touch on all the socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, as at MakeLifeWorkPod. You can always email hello at MakeLifeWorkPodcast.com. And you can obviously visit the website MakeLifeWorkPodcast.com for all the show notes and archives. And remember to rate and review us in your favorite podcast app. That now concludes season six of the Make Life Work podcast. A very special thanks to all five guests who've made this season happen and obviously for all you lovely people who have listened along. We'll be back later in the year with another group of tech folk to share their stories and thoughts on the Make Life Work podcast. Yeah.